Hello and welcome to the Interfish Podcast, where we bring you the most interesting and compelling seafood news. I'm Drew Cherry, Editor-in-Chief, and I'm joined today by Executive Editor John Fiorillo and by Digital Editor Hannah Gazelius. Hello, both of you. We are going to dive deep today into one topic, and that is investing in sustainable seafood. Now, just this week, we had our Intrafish Sustainable Seafood Summit. We brought together a lot of thought leaders from around the sector, both from the seafood industry itself, as well as from the finance sector, uh, NGOs. So um, it was a fascinating discussion. Hannah, maybe you can start us off. Uh, You moderated the first panel of the day. It was Financing the Blue Economy. You brought together executives from uh, Grieg Seafood, from DNB, from Rabobank. Um, what, what were your key takeaways from, from that first panel? Yeah, it was a very interesting um, panel. Um, and it does seem clear that um, sustainability, sustainability-linked financing um, packages are definitely um, here to stay and um, probably will become more common um, in the future. Um, there was um, the, um, Anne uh, Wiesendahl at uh, DNB Bank, she said um, they have, for example, done two um, packages the last couple of years, uh, but this year they had uh, financed 10 uh, deals. So um, she was saying it just shows how it is growing. Um, but there's room to grow even more, and uh, we also need to find uh, a place for where the smaller companies can come in that um, can't do it at the moment because they're not uh, really there yet, and they also uh, need help with uh, financing their transition in, into becoming more green. Um, so um, yeah, it's an important uh, aspect of, of everything because um, yeah, the, the overall goal is obviously to to make um, make the world a better place, um, and uh, then everyone kind of in, in needs that financial backing um, to make um, transitions, even if they um, they don't have the practices in place yet. So, Hannah. Just for any listeners, uh, intrafish readers that aren't familiar, can you just explain blue bonds and sustainability-linked bonds, what those mean, and what uh, lenders require when they uh, when they when they uh, issue these types of of loans? Yeah, so so there are lots of different options corporates uh, can look at. Um, and um, you, you can look at sustainability linked loans or sustainability linked bonds. And w- within each uh, segment, you, 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 you can um, dive further and, and you can choose to um, issue, for example, a blue bond. Um, if, if your investments uh, are linked to the ocean only, um, there haven't been many blue only bonds, quite often um, companies choose green because that quite often incorporates blue as well. I think I think the blue term is not um, really official yet. And um, 
but uh, for example, uh, Greek seafood, they uh, um, did a, a green uh, bond um, package uh, last year or, or this year. Um, but obviously, they're uh, kind of focusing a lot on, on the ocean. Um, so it depends on what investments you, you want to um, invest in or what projects you have. And then you, you can choose to um, look at a green or a blue or a sustainability link, which is kind of um, the overall term for, for um, different kinds of packages. Um, but I guess, yes, so the main thing is like you, you decide what you want to do with this money and then, uh, you know, there's a name for it. The covenants on these loans and the types of things that they're going to uh, ask for, they are in some ways work that was already in place. In some ways, they are kind of ambitious targets. But I think that's going to be the tricky part is, um, do these loans actually lead to any improvements in how the company operates? Or is it kind of rubber stamping, you know, what they what they already are working on. And you asked a bit about that to um, to uh, our panelists from Rabobank. And, you know, she said that is a concern and that there there will be kind of more stringent auditing in place to, to keep tracks, uh, to keep track of these targets, correct? Yeah. Um, so um, at the moment, uh, there are no penalties or, or uh, fines or anything for, for not reaching um uh, what you set out in, in your uh, initial uh, plan. Um, but um, yes, the panelists were saying that, uh, and at, at the moment you, you cannot get lower interest margin. Um, I think uh, uh, Renetta was, was saying this at uh, Greek Seafood, um, they get a lower interest margin for committing to sustainable financing. Um, whereas we expect in the future that uh, there will be a penalty if you don't meet uh, your sustainable KPIs. Um, so um, there, there needs to be more work um, to do um, on this. Um, but the good thing is, it does uh, when you do get um, a package of like a sustainable financing package in place, you, you do communicate to your shareholders or, or to the wider community what your intentions are and it makes it easier to implement all your strategies and projects because people are generally more on, on one on the same page than the people in the company know what they need to do uh, to get there so it, um, yeah uh, one of them saying now you've got a you've got a good story to tell and, and this kind of you know package will help you tell that uh, story Sustainability has primarily, I would say, over the past, let's say, two decades, been about uh, been about the buyer uh, and the consumer. Much, much more the retailer than the consumer, I would actually say. I think that's changing more and more and has developed more and more. How is this changing now with the lenders now twisting arms a bit? And what, what changes do you think that will mean for aquaculture and fishing companies? John? Yeah, um, it was... It was really reminiscent when I listened uh, in at the at the webinar. It was reminiscent of the early days of sustainable seafood development, as you as you mentioned, because in the early days um, of that movement, you know, some people jumped aboard right away, and it was kind of a, a nice to have. It eventually became a must 
have as far as uh, seafood suppliers are concerned because retailers and food service operators pushed this down onto the supply chain and began requiring it. So we're kind of in the same uh, same boat right now as far as uh, sustainability linked investors. They're, they're out there and right now it's kind of a, a nice to have, but as, as Hannah just said, at some point it's going to be a must have. And even beyond that, they'll, it'll be, uh, you'll be punished, so to speak, if you, if you don't. So, um, you know, I would say anybody in the aquaculture space in particular, that's looking for uh, outside investment in the future has to really get its ESG uh, strategies and policies in place and be ready to, you know, display those um, legitimately to investors of all kinds because um, they're like, like we we've said they're they're going to be required you know they're they're focused on saving the planet so um it's not it's not just a you know a fun trend going by one of the things that that was interesting to hear from the investor panel um was that it is going to change where investors want to put their money in particular not just where they want to but where they have to put their money especially if you're a private equity fund it's going to be crucial that you are investing in in a company that has a sustainability mandate what do you think this will mean for consolidation um does that mean that we're going to get two tracks here of companies that are more uh, that have more of a sustainability um, focus or have made these shifts that they become more valuable targets or that they uh, are the ones that drive consolidation versus maybe companies that, you know, in the past have just had the cash. Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, as you know, as I mentioned, this is not a passing trend. This is restructuring businesses uh, around the world, no matter what they do, um, the, the focus on uh, carbon uh, reduction of carbon emissions is is critical um, in most people's eyes to saving the planet. So um, those companies that uh, are in line with investors who want to put their money into ESG focused companies are probably going to win in the end. Now, in, in the early days, it may not matter as much, but um, that's going to change rather quickly. And uh, those those will be the companies that investors seek, as you mentioned, and those will be the companies that are in the position to acquire others and bring bring them in under the umbrella of, of these uh, ESG kind of strategies, I would think. Hannah, you... Um recently did a story on uh, on emissions and in particular the potential shift to shipping away from uh, from uh, air cargo to different destinations and I, I found the numbers that um, that you reported were, were just shocking when you looked at the amount of carbon emissions that that airplanes uh, caused for the industry um, and, and, and air freight is not actually that, this was a focused on Norway, um, the, the statistics that you cited, 
air freight is not that big for Norway. Overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly, uh, things are shipped by shipped by uh, by land. I think it was eighteen percent, Hanna, that that w- went via air, and yet it made up something like fifty percent of the emissions, or even more. So I'm curious. Do you think that there is? Do you think we could see blue uh, blue bonds, sustainability linked uh, lending? Do you think that that might lead to some of the transitions? Because one of the arguments we're going to hear from companies uh, to to make some of these shifts to something like completely changing how you ship your goods, not just how you ship your goods, but how you uh, the format that you serve your product in. So in the case of Norway. Um, you would have to make changes to how you chill your product, uh, whether or not you freeze it to, to get it to market, uh, for example, if you're going to use shipping. But do you see that as one? Will we see financing help um, move companies towards those types of practical shifts? Yeah, I guess because um, someone at the, um, the, the panel um, this week also mentioned that um, you know who, who's driving the ECG agenda, and um, Dean B Bank had done this uh, survey um, a few years ago, I think four years ago, and then they said uh, then people said it was the regulators that were driving the agenda, but actually today they did that same survey again, and now it is the consumers and the financial markets that are driving um, that agenda, and so. And what people told me um, in terms of the emission uh, is, is, uh, consumers are uh, definitely uh, increasingly looking at um, uh, the emissions, you know, how sustainable products are and what their emission garbage uh, kind of is for for products that they buy. Um, And also, I think the more we talk about it, the the more... um, pressure companies and consumers will actually want to know more because we know now more that it is possible to, to measure this so uh, why don't we put that on on the products and that would um, uh, obviously kind of uh, change or, or um, yeah con- change the consumer patterns um, and and um, there, there would be, um, but in terms of emissions as well, I guess the air, air cargo is, um, it's not the cheapest uh, option. Um, so if you want to op- go for another option uh, by ship, um, from that perspective, you maybe wouldn't need to uh, raise much money because you, you would actually save money by, by not flying it. Um, but um, in terms of, you know, finding... Uh, you know, tech and, and stuff for developing uh, emission um, labels or other things. Um, yeah, I think that could be, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, something to look into this. You know, Drew, to, to Hannah's point right there, um, Christoph Matissen from IKEA, everybody knows it as a furniture company, but they're also a massive uh, food supplier. They have you know, places to eat inside their stores and they sell ton of seafood. Um, he was on one of the panels and he talked a little bit about this, uh, you know, this thing Hannah just referenced with consumers and 
they're they're looking for products that are good for the planet and maybe it's interpreted through low carbon emissions labels on products or something like like that but in ikea's um uh case they they've they're famous for their swedish meatballs and um they've moved uh they've added i should say a plant-based meatball they did it a, a while ago and it only has four percent of the climate footprint that their uh regular uh meatball has so um you know and he mentioned on our panel that he fully expects see they'll bring in plant-based seafood too assuming um you know the carbon footprint is favorable compared to um, what what they have now. So this is another angle that seafood companies have to look at. I know a lot of them have been uh, exploring, and some are involved in plant-based uh, and alternative seafood products. But um, this may be a component that becomes necessary to get some investment money uh, down the line. It may not, but it certainly seems if you take IKEA, which is a pretty solid company and they know what they're doing, if you take their example, it would suggest to me that that this is part of the equation as well. One of the things that uh, that Christoph brought up that that uh, that was interesting, of course, was he brought up uh, land-based technology. That seems to again really resonate. Uh, even though I think we all know it's still a long way from from a sure thing that this is going to work, it, buyers seem to really like this idea of it reducing the air freight, of it being close to market, of, of integrating more of the idea of circular economy. Uh, so I found that uh, I found that interesting. One thing that was very different from um, from past. Um, events. I mean, I know the Collar Fair Index. It's a it's a network of several hundred investors. Uh, um, uh, Collar Fair, and they have trillions under management. And uh, uh, Maria Latini, um, who's the executive uh, director there, she joined us. What I found very interesting is that this is kind of the first event, at least that. Um, that, that we've had where the seafood industry, salmon farming in general, but the seafood industry overall, has had this great third-party stamp of, uh, of, of, uh, of, of an investment group saying, yes, this is more sustainable than other proteins. Now, being more sustainable, having a lower carbon footprint than beef is maybe nothing to brag about. <laughs> in some ways, but um, the number one company was Movie. Um, Katerina Martins, who's the sustainability director there, joined us as well. Um, you know, and 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 did say that emissions continues to be uh, important to the the company. It's something that they continue to work on. They know is a is a problem. But John, I'm curious. You know, what, how is the industry going to capitalize on this? This is a huge, huge bit of of news, a huge stamp of approval for the direction, at the very least, aquaculture and seafood is headed versus beef, pork, and poultry. What is the industry going to do? What do you think they need to do to take advantage of it? 
Well, what they're going to do is unclear because it was, um, you know, listening in to the um, event, it was clear that nobody really knows how to capitalize on this yet. It doesn't sound like there's a strategy. And this isn't the first year that the salmon farms have done well in this index. Uh, you know, it's it's happened before. So, however, bravo to them because uh, a number of them, I can't remember how many exactly, I want to say 13, showed up and on the, on the ranking and did uh, very well, um, beating out some of the biggest uh, protein, you know, land-based protein producers on the planet. So that's, that's a good part. How will they capitalize on this? How will they communicate it? How do you communicate this to a consumer in a succinct way that inspires them to choose salmon over, you know, hamburger? I really don't know. I mean, I imagine the communication will start obviously at the wholesale level in, in, in a more robust fashion, but how you take it down to that next level, to that consumer level, it's it's not something I, I could tell you. I, I just I just don't know. But you know, on the bright side, it's great news, and um, I'm sure one of the the marketing people at a movie or one of the other companies will uh, start to figure this out. I would hope. Well, thanks, and let's just leave it there. To all our listeners and readers out there, Happy New Year. We made it through another one, and I hope that you get a holiday break of some form or fashion. Of course, we'll be back in the new year. It's going to be another exciting one. It always is. Uh, you can find us, as you know, at intrafish.com. There's a lot of different ways to, uh, to keep up with us including one more new way that we're very excited about. We just launched the brand new IntraFish app. Uh, our development team has been working very, very hard on it. Uh, we're really excited about it, really proud of it. Uh, please download it uh, and let us know what you think. Um, you can drop a line to us at any time, of course, uh, at editorial at IntraFish.com or reach us on social media. But the app is fantastic. It allows you to get breaking news uh, or recommended stories right there on your home screen. Uh, it allows you to customize the news feed that you want so you can track the stories that matter to you. Uh, and it's lightning fast. You can take it with you everywhere you go. Uh, it's a great experience. So download it. It's on Apple and on Google Play. Just search IntraFish and it should pop right up. So again, have a happy new year, everyone, and we'll speak to you in the new year.